Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. Now, we live in a world of tech. We live in a world where startups are so prominent in our business lives that it's frankly amazing to see that landscape changing every single day. And in this landscape, there are so many different challenges or so many different things that face us. But one of them is in this world of technology, things can scale very, very fast. You only have to look at places like WhatsApp, the ridiculous sale price that that found. You've only got to look at things like Uber and various other tech-based enterprises to see that this is a very, very serious business. And today, we're actually going to challenge the issue of how to grow a young business extremely fast and how to do that properly. So joining me today is actually someone who has grown a fantastic business which was born in 2010 and has since grown to become a business that operates not only in the United States, but also 11 different countries worldwide. With me this episode is a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and the founder of iCracked, Mr. AJ Forsyth. Welcome, sir. Hey, happy to be here. It's a real pleasure. It really is. I mean, what a fantastic world we live in where you can create something like this and scale it up so quickly, so well, and actually do that off your own back. I think it's such an admirable story. And that's just one I want to dive into actually to start with, AJ. What is it that iCracked does and what is the history? Where did iCracked come from? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, so the name iCracked, it's actually, it's funny. The name iCracked, I, when I used to break my phone in 2010, when I used to break my iPhone, I used to joke to um, people that I downloaded the iCracked app. And so um, I ended up breaking my phone so often that I was on the fifth or sixth time, I was sick of uh, going to the Apple store, waiting in line, setting up an appointment, and then paying $200 to have it repaired. So I started um, taking my phones apart and fixing it myself. And the the funny thing is, is it started growing very organically in that uh, I was fixing my roommate's phones and then friends' phones. And it, it was never supposed to be the size business it's um, currently, it's turned into. I think right now we have about 1,700 uh, iTechs in the company that are fixing our customers' devices every day. And so what what it started out as was just one person on a college campus um, hanging flyers up and meeting kids in the dorms or in their apartments and repairing their devices. And then what it's turned into is a – really it's a on-demand dispatch system where we connect – our customers, either through our mobile app or through our website, we connect them to their local iTechs for either repair services or uh, trade-ins or insurance claims, which is a um, which is a cool business to get in. But it, it, it's crazy to think that where it started, we we're up just on a college campus um, three years ago, and now we're uh, and now we're living the dream in Silicon Valley. It's unbelievable, and I mean, you know, you mentioned there that you know you used to joke about the fact that you downloaded the iCracked app for the iPhone, and you know, because you cracked your phone so much, you are you are solving your own problem. We talked about this <laughs> a, a little bit in the in the pre-interview yes. chat, but 
it really is born out of necessity, isn't it? You've done that for yourself and, you know, other people just wanted it. Yeah. And so one of the, you know, what's funny is my, um, my co-founder at the time, he's uh, named Anthony Martin. He was at, he was at one of the universities about a hundred miles um, south of me in California when we started. And he was, uh, he was buying phones on Craig. He was buying used cell phones on Craigslist and then selling them um, on eBay. And that actually, and, and he was just doing that for some side money. And that actually, started our trade-in program where our iTechs can travel to you and, and buy your device off of you. So it's it started as a repair necessity for me. And then uh, it kind of, one of the branches of our business, this trade-in branch started, like my co-founder started because he was doing that to make a side income while, while in college as well, which is awesome. I love that. That's pretty cool. I, I love the idea of that open-mindedness, you know, having that agility and that willingness to say, well, do you know what? I did this in college and actually I did make a bit of money at it. Can we scale that? Because now we've got the logistics in place to do that. And it, I love the ability to be able to do that. It's a very non-traditional model, isn't it? Being able to move that quickly. Yeah, I think I, I, we've probably made just about all the mistakes you can make in the book in terms of like, bringing on investors that we shouldn't have, uh, hiring your friends when you shouldn't have hired your friends. Um, like we've, we've certainly, uh, it's been trial by fire up to this point, but it's been a, it's been a wild ride trying to, um, trying to operate on as, in as many countries as we're operating in now. And I mean, that's such a feat, you know, when we think about it four years ago, I was just being born and, you know, you started in the United States, I guess the West Coast of the United States, and you've suddenly grown to be in 11 other countries. And let's just talk about the scale of that, because that is a very big feat. You know, what what is the, what are the numbers around that? I'm not talking necessarily turnover and profitability, but, you know, how many devices do you tend to fix? You've got 1,700 techs out there. What does that yeah, equate so- to in terms of devices? Uh, it's, it's quite a few, uh, <laughs> it's quite a few devices where we're in the, I mean, we've serviced hundreds of thousands of customers, um, so far, which one of the, one of the things that I, um, I love thinking about is we, we have these iTechs, which are, which we build the software that enables them to run their own businesses. But it really started out as my co-founder and I being the first iTechs and, and looking at like, Hey, how do customer interactions look? How do they feel? How do, um, how do we solve our customers problems? And, um, and I think one of the important things of being a founder is really putting yourself in your in the shoes or your use case of what you're doing. And I and we're just we're fortunate that um, both Anthony and I were um, were able to kind of to be iTechs for the first year and then and then really figure out how to how to scale that um, to a place where we're servicing I guess hundreds of thousands of customers a year, which was which was was not even in our wildest dreams uh, three years ago. And- was that something that took you by surprise when you came to the point that actually you thought, you know, this is scalable, we can do this and there's a demand for it. You know, how did that sneak up on you? Was it quite an organic thing or was it just, wow, one week suddenly we've got this opportunity? How did it manifest itself, that growth? That, that's a great question. So it actually started from, I would say that one of the tipping points of, um, of us, I guess, taking this business seriously was we were meeting with one of our um, meeting with one of our mentors at the time, who is a successful uh, software CEO who had sold uh, quite a few companies, and um, and I remember talking to him, and and he was like, "Well, what are you guys going to do once you graduate from college?" 
Um, have you guys kind of thought on what's your next plan? Because where you guys are right now, you've built a great lifestyle business, but you're, you're kind of, if you're in a pool, you're kind of halfway in, you're not fully in. And he's like, if, if you guys are going to take this seriously, you guys need to consider like going all in. And we, we had never, we had never considered this being a, um, I guess being a international company or let alone even, uh, in more States than California. And it was, it was really us talking to, um, to our mentor at the time that was, he basically called us out in the sense that like, if you guys are going to take, if you guys are going to take this seriously, you need to go all in. You can't just treat this like it's a, um, like it's a small business. You have to treat it like a startup when startups require a lot of work, uh, require capital and, and long, long weeks to work on. So it's like, it was, it was really an, an advisor pushing us off the edge, um, kind of calling us out. And, and we said, you know, what, you're right. We can't grow this business in San Luis Obispo, which is a town about 60,000. Um, so the day after graduation, we packed my co-founder's truck and moved to Silicon Valley into a, um, into a pink basement in Sunnyvale. And that's when it was like, time to keep our heads down, working on uh, building the website, building the brand, and then building what would become this, this iTech, uh, this iTech network. I mean, that's, that's a real stark realization when someone that you look to as a mentor basically gives you that kick up the ass and says, look guys, you've got to go <laughs> yeah. in, you know what? And what was the reaction from, from the pair of you? Was it kind of, all right, yeah, let's embrace this, this real positivity, or was it tinged with a bit of fear or a bit of doubt or was it... I- I would say more, one of the, one of the things that's interesting is, is I would be, it was, it was towards graduation and I'd be talking to, um, talking to my peers or talking to my friends about like what's next for their, for their lives. And, and the majority of them were like, Oh, I just accepted a job at IBM or I just accepted a job at Apple or Apple, or I just accepted a job at a venture capital firm or whatever. And so all, all of my friends are getting these, these seemingly like epic jobs that, um, that they've been working so hard for the last couple of years to achieve. And then we're kind of going down that dark windy path of like starting a company where we know 90% of the startups, um, that we're, that we're involved with will probably not be around in five years. And, and so it's, it's more, it's more trepidation and just not knowing what lies ahead. And then also trusting our guts that like, Hey, we're, um, we only have like basically two years to make this work. Um, and it, I, I just remember hearing my friends talk about these, like these kind of lush business offers or, uh, job offers they would get. And I remember thinking like, are we making the right decision going down this track or should we be, should we be doing what they're doing, setting up these, um, these killer jobs. And so it's, uh, by no means have we arrived, but it was, um, it was, it was like scary and uncomfortable because we didn't know if we were making the right decision or wrong decision. Cause we didn't take the, I guess we didn't take the route that we'd been kind of bred and raised to when you graduate from college, you don't start your own company. When you graduate from college, you go work for a company, which, um, which I think is always uncomfortable when you have to face that, especially to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. I understand entirely. That's a similar path to me. You know, you can't, you can't do this. You're not from that kind of place. Like, okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I can, I can totally, yeah, totally get on with that. But one of the things that I want to touch on, you mentioned that, you know, the long weeks, the kind of diving in there and you got to develop things and it's hard. And I want to just touch on that because we do live in this world of 
startup glory. You know, we see WhatsApp being bought out for a ridiculous sum. We see the same with Instagram. We see things like Uber just popping up everywhere. You know, even, even in the small UK cities, even the peripheral cities now popping up. And it's kind of glorified this whole startup kind of concept. And I just want to dig into that, you know. In the early days, when the mentor said to you guys, look, you got to get your head under the water and get into that pool wholeheartedly. Is it as lush and as fancy as it is made out to sound in the press? And absolutely, absolutely not. I, would, it is, I was anticipating that answer. <laughs> it is, it, if you want to, if you want to, what I try to tell people that are thinking about, um, about joining us and, and actually what, what I think happened is I think a lot of people watched, um, the social network about kind of Mark Zuckerberg's rise with Facebook. I think a lot of people watched that and, and got these false notions about, um, everyone that joins a startup is going to be a millionaire. Everyone's going to be wildly successful. It's going to just be like nonstop fun when, when in reality it's like, it couldn't be more opposite than the truth in terms of like, you're, you're probably going to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. Um, you're going to, you're probably going to be, be, be paying yourself. If, if you're even fortunate enough to pay yourself anything, you're probably going to be paying yourself less than the vast majority of your peers or your two or three people that you hire to start out. Um, there's, you, 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 you have incredibly high highs, but even lower lows where you start doubting yourself and, doubting, is this the right decision? It's not, I, it's, I think it's very fulfilling if, if that's, if you know what you're getting into, but it's by no means is it, it's been, an, I, I put it this way. I feel like, I feel like I'm put on earth to be building this company right now. Um, but I, but it is, um, it's just a wild ride. And I, I've, I've learned more in the last four years than I've, than I've learned, um, ever before, but it's just been, it's a tough learning curve. Yeah, I hear that definitely. And I can understand that because as you say, it's not all glam. It is the long weeks. It's the long days, the tearing your hair out, the stress, the kind of early stage concepting and, and basically falling on your ass sometimes because that's what happens. <laughs> and yes. you just have to get back up. And I mean, I love this culture that we're in at the minute. And you know, in the UK, it's a little different, you know, it's, it's slightly different in the, in, in the U S you know, the, the kind of, fail fast culture really feels like it nurtures you along. It gives you the confidence that if, look, I get something ever so slightly wrong, I just go back and I try again. In the UK, it's very much, okay, if you failed, you've got a black mark against your name. And if you do it again, you may as well just not leave the house. So it's, <laughs> it's a very different culture. And you mentioned earlier on, you know, you made quite a lot of mistakes in the early days about investors and, you know, the cardinal sin working with friends and family, which is always fun. Is that, is it something that you were able to bounce back from every time you made these mistakes? Did you have the confidence as a business because of the culture and your personality to bounce back and just keep pushing forward? Yeah, I think, so I guess uh, starting with the investors side of things, uh, you, you learn the first time you raise any seed capital, um, if you're fortunate enough to get to that stage, it's like, it's by far the best money you'll ever raise because someone's saying, Hey, you're, this is the riskiest type of investment you could possibly make as in a startup, but I, I have enough faith in you guys to, um, to track to, that, that I'm going to put money into you. So you're not really worried about investor due diligence because you're, because the sources of capital are so few and far between. 
So I think the the main lesson there is like, if you're going to take money from people, make sure you research and know exactly who they are and what their expectations are. Um, in, in terms of hiring friends, I, I still don't think it's a mistake to hire friends. I think you just have to go in with the knowledge that if you hire friends and it doesn't work out, which more likely than not, it won't work out. But if, if you, if you go in with the knowledge that, Hey, I'm willing to give this a shot, but it may ruin our friendship. I, I always try to have that conversation with anyone that we hire that I'm, that I'm close with before they start working with us. It's like, Hey, I want you to know that this is going to probably permanently change our um, dynamic between us knowing one another. But if it works out, then it's, it's worth the risk. And if it doesn't work out, it's just, I guess, a cost of doing business. That's um, that you hope that everything ends well, that I guess starts well. But um I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's a mistake hiring friends. I think you just have to go in with your eyes open as to what happens if it doesn't work out and then what are each other's expectations. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. And and I think it's when both parties understand that, I think you're absolutely right. You can make it work, but it does have to be very pragmatically looked at. And I, I think that's a really valuable point. And you talked about the eye opening side of things, you know, you go in with your eyes open, but I want to explore actually your eyes being opened, you know, you've grown to be in 11 different countries over and above the United States. What lessons have you learned from that, both as a businessman and, you know, as, as a, as a person, what, what have you taken from that? Yeah, I think, so one of the main things is like what, um, what may work here in the U S may not work elsewhere. So I, I'll, I'll use marketing as a good example. So the way we market to our customers in New York city, is probably going to be vastly different from the way we market to our customers in Guam. And so, um, and so you have to just be prepared to change your, uh, what I, we, we're always prepared to change our business model. If it makes sense. I, one of my fears is that we get stuck in a inefficient process or an inefficient way and we fail to change it just because it's comfortable and people don't want to take risks. And so um, one of the main things I've learned is that like, Every whenever we enter a new um, whenever we enter a new country or ecosystem, it, we may have to. It's almost like starting an entirely new company because what works in the U.S. may not work there, and um, and I think you just have to put the right people in charge or in place that understand that our our launch team in um, in the U.K understands that what uh what they're building is not just an extension of iCrack they're they're building an a almost a separate um a separate entity from iCrack in the US because it's just so much different marketing and uh in dealing with that customer base so i would that that's one of the cool things is is if you join a um if you join a young company or you join a startup i guess be prepared to uh absorb as much information as humanly possible, but it will, I think it will gear you up well for whatever future endeavors you, um, you start off with because you have to, you have to fail fast, move fast and, uh, and make sure you don't, the company doesn't die while you're iterating and trying new things. Yeah. I think that agility is so important. And and as you said, going in with your eyes wide open and saying that this is going to be pretty tough guys, even though I joined this at ground level and there might only be five of us, I essentially have to be part of everything. You know, I think that's really important as you scale up, you don't lose that kind of attitude, you know, the absorption of the information, the willingness to learn. I think you need that no matter 
how big you get or who you end up becoming. I think that's so, so vital. And I just want to talk before we get into the actionable tips section, you know, we are here to challenge that issue of growing a young business fast. So the one thing that I kind of want to put into context is kind of get some metrics on that growth. And again, not necessarily around the numbers, but more around the pace of things. You know, when did you hit your first international region? How soon was that after the initial inception in 2010? And, you know, at, at what point did you realize, actually, this is a global thing? How did that pace sneak up on you? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So um, so we we went through, we, we were accepted and we went through Y Combinator, which is a incubator here in um, Silicon Valley. And I think at the time we had, we started Y Combinator with, I think, 25 iTechs. And we were doing, I'd call it maybe 100 or 200 uh, repairs a week with them and, and servicing customers. And one of the, um, in terms of growth, we shoot, as a company, we shoot to grow about uh, about 40 to 50% a quarter. So I want to, I, I, I want us to try to either double or triple every branch of our company for the next three years, uh, every year. And so it, it, to, in order to achieve nonlinear growth, you have to, um, I guess you have to iterate fast, kill business units that don't make sense and try to start new business units, which is where our, um, where our trade-in program kind of came from. But, um, I mean, it's, it's just been a wild ride. I, I, I don't think I've slept very much over the last three years, but I, I think that if, if we're going to be competing with, uh, with multi-billion dollar corporations or if we're, uh, really competing to try to win consumer mind share. It's you can't, you almost can't slow down, and you can't take a month off to like to stop growing or stop scaling systems. Um, and so we went through Y Combinator. We came out with I think 175 iTechs, and then really the the last three years has been about building um, building the infrastructure for our iTechs to flourish while also trying to grow the each business unit by 15 or 20% a month. And, um, and what's crazy is we just hit this inflection point where we have the business units and structure to be able to support our customer base. And so this year we're going to be, um, this year we're going to be adding about 5,000 more iTechs to our company, which is, which is crazy to think about because last month, um, last month we brought on just over 300 new iTechs into our company, which is more iTechs than we brought on on the first, uh, almost the first two years of us, uh, servicing customers. And so it's, I, I think this year is going to be about scaling the network. And then I think next year is going to be about, um, leveraging the network to better take care of our customers, which I'm excited about. But I think the, one of the main takeaways I've take or I've learned is that like, you, you can't slow down because if you slow down, there's there's someone out there that is going to be trying to steal your market share or work harder than you or outsmart you. And so it's like, I, I think you have to continuously move as fast as humanly possible and faster than you think is uh, is possible. I love that. I think that's really important. And, and the one thing that you mentioned there, I mean, that pace of growth is fantastic. You know, 40% quarter on quarter. When you think about it, traditionally, a high growth company was 15% annually, which is in this world that we live in now is almost unheard of, especially in the kind of startup scene. And yes, it is. It is crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. And I love the idea of the diversification. It's so important. It's, it's a mantra that I try to live by in our businesses that you have to diversify quickly and you have to, you do have to stop doing the things that aren't making sense 
very, very quickly too. And I love that, you know, to, to hear that echoed, I think is so viable because it's not just bricks and mortar businesses. It's not just service businesses. It's not just startups or tech. It's actually every business. It's just fundamental common sense in business to do that, which I think is vital. And absolutely. One thing I just want to move on to now then is obviously to wrap up the show for you guys listening out there, we're talking about growing a young business very, very fast. And that can be quite a challenge. And what AJ, we're going to do now is just share your actionable tips that you've put together for the listeners. Cause I know you've been working hard on the three tips for the guys out there. So what's your first actionable tip for helping to grow a young business fast, please, sir? Yeah. So one of, one of the mistakes that I think I um, made a few times over the last couple of years is hiring too fast. And that is um, I, I would hire, I would bring on people to the team that may not have been the perfect individuals for that role, but, but we just needed that role filled because it was, uh, it was slowing us down or swamping another department. And so one of the things that I've, every time I interview someone now, or every time we interview an iTech, we think that like, is this the best person in the world for this position right now? And if, if that it's really slowing down the hiring process and not confusing, uh, needs with, um, needs with, hiring the wrong person. And so I think it's, it's slowing down how fast you hire people and wait for the right people or the perfect people to hire or near perfect people to hire. And then it's also, if you're questioning about if someone is a productive member of the team, it's probably then already um, too late and you need to do not. That was another one of my weaknesses is I, I waited too long to remove people from our team that may not have been perfect fits. And so I think it's hire slow, um, hire slow for the right person and then remove people that are not long-term healthy for the organization. And I think that's so important. I mean, it's a very, very difficult thing to do, but you've got to be so sure, but then act upon that when you are sure. I think that's very, very vital to any business. And it's something that, you know, I've seen businesses just around the corner, you know, right at the grassroots level when we were starting up, fail so early because they kept hold of the wrong people that were just sapping cash and letting customers down. And it is, it is crazy in, in that fast moving world, especially when you, when you compound that together with what you've just said a moment ago about, look, if you take your foot off the pedal, someone else is going to overtake you, man, and you're off the road. That's it. You're done. I think when you put those things together, that becomes even more important, getting the right people in for the long term, but actually cutting the fat when you need to. I think that's it's such a good piece of advice. And for sure. Okay, actionable tip number two, sir. What have we got? So, uh, one of the, on my whiteboard in front of me, I have um, I have a, something written that says every company goes out of business the same way, and uh, and what that means is like every company, if you if you run out of capital or financing, you're going to go out of business. It doesn't matter what team you have, what market you have, what product market fit you have, um, what investors you have. Like if if you run out of capital, it's it's game over. And so one of the things that we try to drill down to our um, core team is to scale each department according to revenue. So although we have um, future branches of our company that may be much larger than current branches we have now, it, it wouldn't make sense to put in a ton of resources to grow those branches right now prematurely and then, um, and then uh, I guess, alienate the uh, existing branches because at the, at the end of the day we're a we need to be repairing hundreds of thousands of customers iPhones we not necessarily should be focusing on a future warranty branch of our company 
But, um, but it's just uh, one of the things we've learned is scaling each department of our company according to the revenue. And uh, like, don't forget to take care of customers because you have a vision of, uh, of a utopian future. Like, take care of customers and then, um, and then earmark 20% of your time to build your utopian future because you can't a – lot of, a, lot of, a lot of my uh, founders that I know – um, they'll build great products and great companies, but they uh, they forgot to they as soon as they run out of uh, capital, there it's it's unfortunate uh, to see great companies die because they uh, either spent too much or didn't scale revenues accordingly. Yeah, it's the focus, isn't it? I think again, that's such a powerful tip because so many times you can put the focus in the wrong place because you feel like you've achieved a level of success, which you have, of course, but it's not a sustainable level of success. You've got to set that bedrock, which is, as you say, it's all rooted in your customers. And I think that that is sometimes something that people do forget, especially when they start throwing the big numbers around, you know? So I think, yeah, that, absolutely. I think that's so, so important. And on to the third and final tip, sir. So, yeah. So I think uh, going on to what we spoke about earlier, I think not trying to replicate your exact business in different markets. Um, I think it's important when entering any new market to always iterate and um, and know that what may work in one market wildly fails in another market. So don't don't be don't fall in love with your business model to the point where you become jaded in new markets. Be prepared to change your business in new markets if if that's what it caters to. Uh, different demand. So I, that, that I would say the best advice I've gotten is don't try to exactly replicate your business in, uh, in new markets, be prepared to change it for, to get those product market fits. Yeah. I think uh, again, fantastic piece of advice. The, the, the idea that you stuck so rigidly to what is effectively your baby can be a real kiss of death for you, can't it? It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really fantastic work there. So AJ, listen, that has been such a good interview. That is so insightful. And I'm I'm absolutely over the moon that, you, you know, iCracked is doing so, so well. I've got absolutely no doubt that the growth will continue. So first of all, congratulations on that. Thank you for having me. I've appreciated it. No, it's a real pleasure. It genuinely is. And just before we wrap up then, AJ, just tell the guys listening where they can find you online, please, sir. Uh, so iCracked.com or... Uh... Well, yeah, iCrack.com, and then um, depending on what country you in, you're in, it should take you to the right site and language. Check it out, guys, iCrack.com. And thank you once again to AJ for guesting on this episode. I'm sure you'll agree, guys, that has been a superb insight into what it takes to grow a young business extremely fast and, of course, internationally. So as ever, don't forget that everything that myself and AJ has discussed have discussed even, I must stop drinking before the interviews. <laughs> you can get hold of all of the show notes and everything that we've talked about over at excellence-expected.com. And listen, do you know what? I'm going to ask a favor. I very rarely do this, but if you've enjoyed this episode with AJ, please head on to iTunes or Stitcher or Spreaker and leave us a very favorable review. I would really appreciate that. Don't forget, until the next time, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. 